Welcome to MLR Kickoff, our 50th episode with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Pete, we finally made it. 50 episodes. Take off the hat, a little tip of the bat, a little cricket reference there. Don't let the fireworks off. We're not at a century yet, but a little celebration and a pause as we look back at 50 episodes. And it's a big one, Mr. Steinberg, as we will dive into the champions, the Seattle Seawolves, back-to-back in 2019. We'll catch up with their GM and part owner, Shane Skinner. He'll join the show a little later. Plus, we'll go around the grounds and catch up on all the MLR news, of which there is plenty this week. But firstly, I welcome into the show my co-host and co-commentator, Pete Steinberg. Pete, where in the heck are you this week? I am sitting in my office. It's the uh, you know it's the week it's the week before Christmas. Um, was uh, traveling earlier this week, but um, I get to be home for um, the rest of the year. And then start traveling again in, in in January, and it has been it has been a big week. There's been um, big news uh, on the player front, but also big news on the league administration front. So excited to get into that. But um, let's do the Seattle review first, Dan. One of your favorite teams, I believe, a team you know well. No what favorites, but yeah, I, I was involved heavily with uh, Seattle calling their home games up there this year. So. But first, mate, congrats on 50 shows, Pete. So proud of you. Well, as a, as a relatively mediocre cricketer, 50 was where I, I got very excited because 100 I've never seen. So it has been 50 shows. We're, we're still friends. We're still talking. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been through a couple of te- technological changes. And, you know, we think back to our youth when we started and, you know, the young league. And, and, and here we are. I know. And I used you probably, and again, one more cricket reference, and I'll get back to uh, American sports reference. You probably brought up fifty when you were bowling quite a bit, though. <laughs> I didn't bowl that much. I was a bit of a, I was a wicketkeeper. Oh, that that's, was, that that would have parlayed well into the commentary life because you've got to be pretty quick with the, uh, yeah, the yeah, no, yeah. wicketkeeper. Well, let's Absolutely. talk. Let's talk Seattle, mate, because it was uh, a very different year from their first run. Um, Everyone knew that Seattle, you know, were going to be the defending champs and they had a target on their back throughout the year. And it kind of showed not the same outfit we saw. In 2018, it was built all on the back of the uh, aptly named Seawall and their defense. They turned things around in 2019, Pete. They actually finished the year as the best attacking side in the league with almost 500 points which is uh, a little different to what we've seen from Seattle in years past. And they were way down when you come to uh, defense. They were the fifth best side, conceding 405 points. So I know you love your stats. So jump into those. You think well, the change I mean, I think this, yeah, is a good evolution a, of the team? Yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is interesting, right? So, um, you know, Seattle, again, had some coach problems and, and brought on Richie Walker relatively late. And, and Richie's known... A, as a bit of an attacking guru and, and you felt like they were going to um, expand their attack. Um, and, and they certainly did that, you know, they kept the ball in hand, but they, you know, it, it was interesting. They, they weren't an especially, if you look at the stats, they were actually pretty much middle of the pack, right. Um, you know, sort of middle of the pack in ball carries in rocks, um, middle of the pack in territory. They, you know, there was nothing that they did outstandingly well. Um, but what they did do really well is that they were one of the best set piece teams. So they were number two in line out um, 
percentage. They were number one in line-out steals. Um, they were number one in scrum percentage. And they were number one in scrum penalties, which, you know, they conceded the least penalties of any team. So this was a team that created a little bit more balance in how they played. They kept the ball in hand a little bit more. Um, but it was actually the set piece that really was powerful for them um, and got them over the edge. And I also think experience, like they are, you know, one of the older teams, they, they brought the, you know, so many players are back and they've brought so many of those players back again. Um, so, you know, you, it's, it's, it's a team that I think is, you know, seeing this as a window to really put down a marker, but, um, you know, at some point, some of their, you know, some of their top players are, aren't going to be around and they're going to have to find a way to replace them. Yep. I agree. And, you know, some of the things that stood out for me is, you know, personally, uh, you look at some of their stats, Brock Staller leads the league in points. Uh, 223, 60 more than second place in Joe Peterson, yet he's nowhere to be seen on the top try scorers. So I found that Seattle did an exceptionally good job of controlling territory and taking points when they got into territory. As you can see by that, you know, Brock Staller was an absolute weapon with the boot off the tee and he made teams uh, hurt 29 penalty goals, which again, led the league. So not surprising there. And the one that stood out, Pete, and really showed perhaps how you beat the Seawolves was when Utah went up there and, and took them to a draw late in that game. And it was territory. They played a territory game against Seattle and it showed that they weren't really, even though they led the league in, in tries, uh, sorry, in, in points, when you look at tries four, they come back down to third on the 64 with New Orleans and Glendale having the superior statistics there. So territory was another thing uh, I'll add on to all your great stuff. Yeah, there as well, I, they did well. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And so what they did was that they, you know, they, they put you in your half and then they put pressure on you in the set piece and you gave away penalties and they took the points. And what was interesting for me was that they adjusted a little bit in the final against San Diego because San Diego actually played the best territorial game. And I think that um, Walker and the Seawolves saw that and they actually played you know they played with a little bit more openness and I think that we're going to see more of that um although you know it's another coaching change this year I mean I they have some absolute studs like you know I'm going to say his name and then I'm going to let you talk about him like Brad Tucker one of the best players in the league what are your thoughts on on on, on Brad I mean where do you start it must have been like the apostles talking about Jesus back in the day when uh you know, they were writing the scriptures. And that's how I feel about Brad Tucker. I feel if Brad Tucker took a, a bottle of water, he, he would just look at it and it would turn into the finest wine you've ever tasted. And he could walk across old Puget Sound, you know, just, just on top of the water. I mean, he's blessed. He's the greatest that there ever been, there ever will be, uh, until I find someone this year that I like even more. So yeah, Brad Tucker. And he was player of the year and deservedly so, which was a... Uh, a little bit of a shift from year one where we saw the dominant in the front row, you know, Tim Metcher dominated at the set piece, but this year it was that dynamic ability of Brad Tucker and uh, Ricard Hutting. You know, we saw the hard edge of Nakai Penny. They missed Villy most of the year and he'll be back. He looks fit uh, training. And then obviously uh, the big one was Sami Manoa as well. Late came into the year, match fitness, you know, it was, was a slow build-up, but he'll be a full preseason with the team back again this year. But, yeah, Brad Tucker. Oh, I'm, so, <laughs> well, I'm so glad you brought him up, not me. 
I know, and I thought I'd do that for you. For me, I thought, you know, the guy, one of the guys that I love watching play was J.P. Smith. I mean, I actually think um, Richie Walker did a great job of sort of managing the um, J.P. Smith, Bill Mack dynamic, right? Trying to make sure that he got the boat, you know, the best out of both of them and sort of, you know, J.P. Smith's ability to play um, fly half, you know, he um, got him, you know, I think there was one game late on where he um, moved from scrum up to fly half, was able to score a try bringing Phil Mack on a little bit later in the game when the game breaks down and he can really be that creator that he is. Um, you know, I thought that was really good, but I think JP Smith is an absolute class scrum half. I think that um, we're going to see more and more of him. Um, and, you know, I think this is the year that Ben Seaman needs to step up, right? So I think this is the year that, um, you know, JP Smith and Ben Seaman, two relatively young halfbacks, should, you know, stake the claim to the future of the to the future of the Seawolves. Well, and they've gone out and made some signings that we'll talk about uh, after we talk to Shane Skinner um, that indicate that, you know, this is the year for Ben to step up. So the the days of JP kind of slotting out into 10 are over. I think we'll see a reduced role from Phil Mack this year. Still not sure if he hangs up the boots or not. He's taken a coaching role up there, which he was pretty much doing anyway. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you, Ben Seema. This 2020 will be a big year for the young fly half. And then JP will probably have the reins at nine for most of the year, which will change the way he plays as well. I think we'll see a, a much more authoritative JP Smith in 2020, a year under his belt, and pretty much knowing that you're going to be in the nine jersey. You're going to be running this side from that position. So, yeah, and, and exciting and it, to it, see. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting, right? Because you look at some of their players like, you know, some of their studs in the back line, like Matt Turner and, and um, Shalom Sinula, you, you know, you've got to wonder how many years they have left, right? And so um, those guys, I think, are the leaders of that back line. And I think that the J.P. Smiths and the, you know, the Ben Seamers of this team need to, even though they've got these experienced internationals with them, like they, they have to be given space. And, um, you know, I think that I, I, I felt like, I've always felt like, you know, Shalom is sort of the glue for that back line and for that team. And whenever he hasn't played, and it's only been a couple of times in season one and season two, the Seawolves look, look very different. Um, and so, you know, I think that he was really critical and keeping him healthy is, is, is really critical. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think, uh, you know, we, we, we poked a bit of fun when we had Brad and JP on the show about Lomi and uh, some of his defensive work, but Let's be honest, he is one of the leaders defensively and he's a great communicator inside and out and they are much more uh, efficient defensive and much more communicative defensively when he's playing. So yeah. Yeah. a year older for Lommy. He won't like me saying that, but he is a year older. And They're all is, a year older. Everyone's yeah. a year older. You're yeah. a year older. Yeah, but I'm not out there trying to you know, tackle these guys. I don't, I don't have some of these players coming. Like They're on the West Coast. He's going to have Ma Nonu against him, who is also a year older, but he's still just as scary. So, no, it'll be... Uh, interesting. Like, that's, like, that is a real rivalry, I think. That, that West Coast rivalry of, of the Legion and the Seawolves, those games are going to be something to behold. Oh, I like it. I love the conference split too, because now we can really get the rivalries, right? You, you see it in other sports where there's these conferences and there's teams who genuinely dislike each other. I don't know if you saw, obviously, some big news came out of... Washington, D.C., that we'll talk about later in the show. But uh, Rooney owner James Kennedy took a little swipe at uh, 
at his compatriots down there saying, great job. Now you just need 22 more players to compete. I'm like, you know what? That is beautiful. I love the rivalries just starting to, to percolate out on the East Coast as well. So it'll be great. Well, Pete, let's bring in one of the owners out there in Seattle and uh, a man who wears many hats, as we'll talk about in just a moment, for the Seawolves, one of the most passionate people about, you know, not only rugby in the Pacific Northwest, but rugby overall. It's Shane Skinner from the Seattle Seawolves, and I had the honor of sitting down with Shane earlier today. Joined now by Seattle Seawolves' newly appointed head of hydration. So that's the head water boy, Shane Skinner. Shane, Thanks for popping in and joining the show, my friend. And uh, Gatorade or water this year? Are you going to diversify? <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, the, the water we've been drinking the last two seasons uh, has uh, has worked out well. So we, uh, you know, for consistency sake, I think we'll stick to the same water. And it is tough. Obviously, you are a part owner in the Seawolves for everyone tuning in. But you do wear many hats out there. And uh, all those hats you wear proudly. Let's first talk about going back-to-back, mate, because I know, you know, you and I sat down at the start of last season out there in Seattle and talked about how difficult it was to defend a trophy. Year one, under the radar a little bit, no one knew much about you. Year two, bullseye firmly planted on the front of uh, all 23 of your players' chess every week. How proud are you, firstly, of what you did in 2019? And can you talk a little bit from your perspective about the year that was? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I couldn't be more, you know, proud of the players. Um, you know, like you said, I mean, just the, you know, how difficult it is, you know, to come, come in um, after a championship, you know, for a second season and, and keep that same level of, uh, you know, commitment to excellence, you know, commitment to getting better. Um, it's tough. And, uh, and, you know, again, the boys, they worked hard. Um you know, I mean, bless, they, uh, you know, they did everything that, you know, they, they just put the work in, the commitment in, and, um, and it paid off there at the end. Um, and it was tough, you know, the competition, you know, so there was more teams, you know, the, uh, the talent level and, um, you know, quality of play drastically improved from year one to year two. And I, I expected to see the same going to year three. So uh, I couldn't be prouder of the boys. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great to watch. And like we said, uh, winning a championship is uh, hard. Defending it cements the legacy that is the Seattle Seawolves. Looking forward to 2020 now. Now, obviously, there's always going to be changes. Did you sit down with the senior group and obviously now coaching staff as well, Keith Lensing? So congratulations on having a head coach to start the season yeah. for the first time in, in uh, Seawolves <laughs> history, which is great news. But it is how, great news. And, how, uh, it, sorry, mate. How soon yeah, after it, that game against San Diego did you shift focus to 2020? Oh gosh, I mean, we were focused on on 2020 before the season ended, right? And uh, you know, that's across the board, whether it's on the field or off the field. You know, you you know, you have to you know think you know, and to be candid, I'm already thinking about 2021 and player recruitment for uh, 2021 and how we can get better for 2021 already. So um, you know, I think you always have to look ahead. You know, you have to have a vision. Um, you know, you have to have the commitment uh, for, you know, continuous improvement as an organization, you know, and, and each and every one of us in the organization individually. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was before, you know, before that final whistle blew for the final, we were already thinking about 2020. Let's talk about some of those uh, acquisitions you've gone out and made. You lost some players, which is normal. Uh Probably Alpi Nakatini is the big one. He goes to Old Glory, but you pick up some quality players. 
Uh, more recently, Ross Neal announced a very young outside back comes over from the Wasps and uh, Rana Eckstein from down at the Cheetahs. What did you see in those two players that wanted you uh, to have them involved with the Seawolves? Well, I mean, Ross specifically, the, um, you know, I mean, 6'5", he's 250, uh, center. I mean, just his size and to, um, to match up with some of the, the, you know, the other team's acquisitions, you know, we thought it was important to bring somebody else, uh, you know, on our squad that could, you know, uh, equal up on just the, the sure, you know, size of the, of the, you know, well, the talent level and the size of the competition coming in. You know, the same holds true with, uh, you know, Harry Davies. He was a 6'4", 240, 240 wing. Um, so we really, you know, we really beefed up, you know, the squad. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm most proud that we kept almost, you know, the entire team from last year. With I think there's six exceptions, uh, you know, guys that are not on the squad this year versus last. So we have our core, you know, and with that, we're going to continue, you know, the same culture of winning that we have in place. Um, and we just filled some some kind of core gaps. So, uh, you know, again, Ross, I think, was a, was a you know, a, a big acquisition and encounter to the, you know, again, just the, the, the sheer size of the, of the backs coming into the league, uh, as was Harry. You know, with, and with Reno, you know, we just need a little more depth at the, uh, the fly half position. And, um, and he shores up, you know, that depth and need that we, you know, that we, have, you know, we needed from last year. And of course, more recently, uh, Juan Manuel de Guzman, the Argentinian legend, uh, yep. housewives all across the Pacific Northwest were celebrating <laughs> out in the street cheering. Including my own, I think. Could you have signed a better looking man? Like, I mean, really, he, he, he's 50 shades of grey <laughs> come to life on a rugby field. But what an experienced guy to bring in into that well, yeah. pack as well. I mean, you have experience. You know, you have a, a tremendous work ethic. I mean, there's a reason he's the, you know, the second most capped uh, Argentinian player of all time, right? Um, you know, his commitment to excellence, um, you know, I, I, you know, his leadership in the locker room, you know, every reference check that I did, I mean, those, those were the, you know, that was the feedback that I, you know, that I was receiving. So I couldn't be more happy with, uh, you know, with all of, you know, our, our re-signings and new signings. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a really special team this year. Let's talk a little bit off the field away from the players now, because like I said, you wear many hats there. 2019, you uh, formed some phenomenal corporate partnerships. Uh, Elysian Brewing, pick up your own mm-hmm. Seawolves beer. How are the yeah, sales? Backline, backline Pilsner. Backline yeah. Pilsner. How, how is that relationship going? And um, uh, any other corporate partnerships uh, that you want to talk about going into 2020? Yeah. I mean, similar to uh, you know, the on-the-field on squad, I mean, our retention rates are extremely high with our partners as well. Um, which I think just speaks to the, um, you know, the overall organization and experience um, that everyone, everyone has when, uh, you know, being partnered with, uh, with the Seawolves. So uh, I expect all of our partners to renew um, or they have renewed, um, you know, Legion specifically. I mean, they're, they're great partners. I mean, they make a check, the check pills, the backline pills, which, which they allowed me to pick, which was pretty awesome. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, and, and we have some new, partners that we plan to announce here in the next month, uh, corporate partners that, uh, that I know our fans will be excited about and our players will be excited about. So it's, oh, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun time. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Is it true that you got to sample all the beers before you picked one and you just couldn't make your mind up for weeks, <laughs> weeks on end? Well, it was, it was, I met with brewmaster Josh and we spoke, uh, spoke about beer in length and, uh, 
and and you know we actually had a compromise you know he was really high on the stout which is why we did the uh you know the the stout for the uh, the fords and then we did the backline uh pills and the check pills because i had just got him back from Prague for that meeting and fell in love with the check pills so um yes it, it was uh it was a lot of research and debate uh to land with the uh, the two beers that we have yeah I, i'm a pills man myself just like you fast between the feet and uh you know, fast to get out of the bar when the tab comes as well. That's a good backline player. <laughs> Matt, let's let's talk about your fans because I know this is something you are very passionate about. And as far as fans go, I don't think we've seen uh, better fans in MLR in the first two years than you have up in Seattle. But also in terms of your ability to listen to your fans and make changes to make the fan experience better. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with the fans up there in Seattle and how that's working out. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that. I just opened a Christmas card from one of our fans about five minutes before the call, which uh, and they, they, you know, they made you know put a really sweet note, um, which you know I'm really appreciative of. But uh, to your point, you know, our fan base. I mean, you combine Seattle fans, which uh, you know haven't lived all across the country and uh, you know and outside of the U.S. I mean, there is not a better I don't think sports fan base and the fans of Seattle. And you combine that with what I consider the best fans in the world, which are rugby fans and you get what we get, right. Which are, which are hyper passionate, committed, you know, whether we win or lose, um, just genuinely good people. And uh, you know, and, and to be fair, I mean, they, they feel more like family than a, you know, than a, than a customer per se. Right. Uh, it's just really special. And, uh, you know, and with that, you know, I get emails, I get phone calls, you know, I still respond to, uh, any inbound email myself, um, from our fans. Um, you know, it's just a, it's just a really special relationship, you know, and, and not just between, you know, the, the office and, and, you know, obviously the fan base, but, you know, with our players and fans, I think they have a really unique special relationship too, you know, and the players feed off it. Right. Oh, 100, I feed off it. It's my favorite place to come and call a game because of that energy. And, you know, I cannot express my gratitude enough for, for you letting me come up to your home and call those games and, and the energy that comes off there. I hope it comes through to all the viewers who, who haven't had the luck to go up to Starfire and watch home game. I'll do a little plug here for you, Shane. I, w- I would say it's a worthwhile road trip. If your team is playing in Seattle, get a plane ticket, come along. You'll be very, very welcome there. And it is the best place to watch MLR in America. And that, uh, that is not even stretching it. Well, let's talk 2020, mate. You've gone back to back. You've won two in a row. Um, I know you well enough to know that you're not going to rest on that and you want to keep going. So how do you win three in a row this year? Yeah, I think it goes back to the, um, you know, having that level of, of commitment, you know the the work that you know is required and uh, focus that's required to uh, to you know to keep you know raising the bar you know both again as a as an organization as a team as individual players um, you know each of us have to you know ha- you know have that wherewithal and an internal you know drive to uh, to want and get better and it's and it's going to be tough you know, you've got more teams in um, you know there's again there's you know the different acquisitions that are made. Um, you know, throughout the league, it's, uh, and to your point, you know, folks are going to be gunning for us, but, uh, but I know the boys are ready, you know, they're working hard already, you know, in the off season and preseason, um, they're going to hit the ground running on January 4th. Uh, I think we'll be ready, you know, to, to give it a, another real good solid run.
What was the reasoning behind the late start to preseason? A lot of teams have gone back now, just to give the players some extra time off. Well, it's time off, and it's it's the holidays. You know, I, I prefer the players to you know to be with their families around the holidays. You know, so you know for folks to come from overseas and then you know be here for a few weeks and then turn around and go back home um, just seemed seemed like a heavy ask. Um, you know, whereas you know we we you know the coaching team did a phenomenal job of giving everyone, you know, uh, uh, you know, workout programs that they can do on their own. And, and again, our, you know, our players are, are committed, they're disciplined to do those programs on their own. So I just know they're going to hit the ground running come January 4th and, and be ready to go on February 8th. Well, I cannot wait. It's actually February 9th. Oh, I guess you're going to travel oh, on the 8th, but the 9th you've got uh, the, the championship rematch, which will be on CBS down there back in San Diego, the site of, uh, both your championships. It's been happy hunting ground for the Seawolves in championship games, the old uh, Torero Stadium. Matt, I know you're busy and I do appreciate you coming on the show. You've got uh, a thousand Christmas orders to fill for all the Seattle fans buying their merchandise. <laughs> Shane, where can they go to buy that merchandise? SeattleSeawolves.com. It's the only place. I go there three or four times a day just to look at Brad Tucker's profile, but I'll definitely <laughs> pop over to the merchandise store and get some stuff for Christmas to put under the tree as well. Shane Skinner, you are a legend. Thank you for joining the show. And we look forward to watching the Seawolves have a red hot crack at a three-peat in 2020. All right. I appreciate you, Dan. Thank you. There you go. Shane Skinner, Seattle Seawolves. And Pete, uh, an infectious personality. A guy I've, I've really enjoyed my time with every time I go to Seattle. Yourself as well, when you've called games out there. You always come up and say hello, and just just absolutely oozing with enthusiasm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, his passion for what for what he's doing up there with the other owners is tangible. Like it's it's he's he is so excited. They've done such such a good job. I mean, I think I think they're you know, I'm, I'm not sure if they've sold out of season tickets, but I think they're they're pretty close. They're over three thousand, I think, for their season tickets. It's like you know the work. Yeah, you know, we always you know we get to talk a lot. Um, about what happens on the field. But I think when, when you go to the Seawolves, you know, there, there are teams that you go to and you can tell that they're still building and they're still sort of getting their infrastructure together. But very early on in season one, you, you know, you would turn up to the Seawolves and you would meet people that had very particular roles and you can understand why they've been successful um, on and off the field. And I think, you know, the work, that, the work and passion that um, someone like Shane has done is, is, is pretty obvious. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll deflect everything too in terms of praise. He'll always push it back to the players, to his supporting staff up there, to the fans. So uh, definitely a guy who is uh, going to be a great leader up there for a long time and doing great things with Seattle. Pete, let's shift on to 2020 now and let's focus first on the players who are out in Seattle from that championship run. The biggest one for me was uh, Appy Nakatini, the lock who formed part of the uh, the Bash Brothers with Samu Manoa up there. He has gone to Old Glory, and uh, they've gone out and signed some players, in, especially in that back row, to try to replace him, but that will be a big loss. Looking through, you've got Cam Polson, Aladdin Shoma, Roland Sunyul, and Peter Tiberio as well, who has retired. Anyone on that list stand out as a player that they're going to have to look hard to replace in 2020, Pete? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that they've, they've lost a, a lot of their engine room, right? I mean, they've lost a lot of the, the the players. I mean, I think they always sort of had a bit of a, um, you know, uh, back row locks. 
Um, I think, uh, you know, the only real true lock I think there that plays is uh, um, um, Jeremy Lennartz, who's very, very good. But, you know, they've lost a lot of physicality. I mean, um, you know, uh, Samu is not coming back. Nakatini's not coming back. Olsen's not coming back. So I think that it's going to be interesting to see what it is. Of course, Sam, Samu's coming back. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. He's signed on. He's back next year. Oh, okay. You got to get on the Instagram a little more, Pete. He's uh, yeah, in the yeah, gym I'm with Billy really and they're, Instagram, they're, they're, they're... I do need to get on Instagram. I know. Come on. What a guy. PJ Rugby 9. Hashtag, and, uh, hashtag get with it. <laughs> hashtag get younger. And, uh, um, but, but so I think, I think that, that that's going to be interesting um, you know, they've, they've got, uh, um, a new coach, right. in Kias, who's going to be a, um, who's, you know, was the forwards coach at Rooney. So that's going to be like, you know, you're going to see, a, a, I think a strong set piece focus. So, so that'll be good. But, you know, I, 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 I think that they they will continue, you know, the, the continuity is really important. I think we've talked about this before. Like for me, it takes a couple of years for, for a team to really, like become instinctive in how they play. I think the benefit that Seattle have had is they've, is they've really done a good job of keeping their core players together. The downside is they're on their third coach. The, um, the continuity between that is Phil Mack, who was um, your player coach the first year as sort of the head player coach, um, was an assistant player coach with um, Richie Walker. And then this year, it sounds like it's a full-time um, you know, we're not sure what his playing status is, but it sounds like as an assistant coach, he's going to be there. So he he brings that 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 continuity, and I think they're going to have to continue to open up um, open up the um, the way that they play. Um, and I think they have the players to do that. I think we're going to see more and more scoring this this coming year because I think the skill level is is going to improve. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And let's look at some of the players that have gone out and signed. Probably the biggest name is uh, fresh off his international retirement for Argentina at the World Cup, Juan Manuel Leguizamon. And uh, I said to Shane, man, there must be a, a lot of uh, the housewives in Seattle who are just thrilled with this signing to see the, the chiseled <laughs> features of uh, JML up there running around. I'm excited. I mean, Brad Tucker should be very, very concerned about this guy coming into the side because this is someone I'm talking about who I could just really shift my man crush onto. <laughs> well, I mean, this guy is, I mean, he's world-class, right? I mean, it's another world-class signing that we've seen come in. I think that, you know, because he plays for Argentina, maybe some of the rugby fans don't realize um, how good he is, but this is a guy that has played, you know, top level professional rugby, um, you know, he's um, played for, you know, Stade Francais. Um, he's played, you know, you know, the last few years he's played super rugby for the Jaguars and was a star for Argentina. So I think, I think he's, he's really exciting. The, the guy that was really interesting to me, and not just because of Seattle, but kind of the, um, the image that it, it sets for the league is Ross Neal. So, you know, um, JML's coming in, I think he's 37, end of his career. You see that, you know, we saw that with Marnano. But, but Ross Neal is, um, I mean, this is a big guy. He's 6'5", um, uh, 238. He's going to play, you know, probably, I think probably center for them, I would guess, although he can, he can play on the wing. And he's 24. He's a guy that played 13 times for Wasp last year. This is not a guy that is not able to play in the premiership, right? Um, I mean, he may not be a starter for those teams, but he's only 24. He's someone that can grow into that. So the fact that, 
he has made a decision to come over to the U.S., to come to Seattle and to play Major League Rugby, I think is a big, um, you know, it, 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 this is sort of like one of these challenges that, that Major League Rugby has that because the names, I think, bring in the rugby fans and build the rugby fan interest. The, um, uh, but these guys who are 24, you know, the, you know, people like Ross Neals that are coming over, you know, they're going to be coming over and they'll be here for a while. And so I think he's a, you know, he's a midfield back that might be stepping in for um, Shalom Sanirda when he, when he retires. Like, this could be a bit of a succession plan. I think he is, um, uh, I, think, I, think, I think he's going to be a real stud and, and a real handful for the team. Yeah, you look at like uh, Rano Eckstein as well. He was the guy I was talking about who will sit, depending on preseason, he'll compete with Ben Seema for that starting 10 position, just 25 years of age. So it comes off the back of uh, just three appearances for the Cheetahs in 2018, which is a long time you know, out of rugby. So, you know, I think he's had some issues with some knee injuries, but he'll come over looking to reinvigorate his career. And then that's that connection too, back to the uh, Ricard Hatting, JP Smith, you know, that pipeline. So that's another thing. These guys come over, have a good experience. Their network also opens up to MLR to get other players they've played with and against. To, to look at this option as well. So Marnonu, another good example. He has a good experience down in San Diego. You know, maybe he nudges his buddy, Sonny Bill Williams, and says, hey, one more year, buddy. What do you think? San Diego's beautiful. Can they fit Sonny Bill Williams down there? Surely. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's, let's see how he does in, uh, in Toronto in the winter, right? And then uh, we'll see, see whether, where, where he wants to move. Toronto, England or Toronto, Canada? Isn't he? Isn't 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 Sonny Bill Williams playing in, in Toronto rugby league? Well, technically the name is Toronto, but I think most people argue that that uh, he'll spend a lot of time over in the uh, UK. In the UK, that's 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 correct. But this is not a rugby league podcast, so let's get back onto Major League Rugby. All right, 2020. You did mention new new head coach in Keith Lensing. How does that change the way that we will see Seattle in 2020? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to know. I mean, um, Kears comes with some good experience from the professional league in Japan, worked with um, Rooney. I think, you know, lots of good feedback about Rooney. I mean, this is a hard team to coach. When you've got, you know, so many players that have been leaders and, and you know, have basically run, run it, right? I mean, I think that um, uh, Rickard Hadding has been sort of like, the forwards coach and Phil Mack has been the backs coach. And, and I, so it's not, it's not easy, but um, Kiers does come in with the advantage of, of being appointed before this, you know, their preseason starts. Although, you know, this is the other thing that's really interesting, Dan. Um, Seattle have made a decision to have a very short preseason. Their preseason doesn't start until the new year. And, you know, with an experienced team, I think that makes sense. You know, this is a long season. There's only one buy. And you don't want to beat your players up, but it'll be interesting to see if they, um, you know, if, how, how they're able to prepare. They, they've also brought in a new strength and conditioning coach. So last year they had Ian Gibbons, someone I know from, from my work with the U.S. women, and he's absolutely top-notch. But they bring in another top-notch top, top guy called Chris Toombs, who also has, has experience with professional teams over in the U.K. and in Wales in particular. And Chris I've also worked with, and he's also top-notch. But he's going to have his work cut out with it's the physical preparation ish challenge that they'll have, but it will be interesting to see what their start is like. 
I mean, I think it'll be it'll be um, a challenge for them maybe to hit the ground running relative to some other teams, but but maybe they're planning on finishing stronger as they go through the season. Yeah, we heard Shane kind of touch on that, the reasonings, uh, a lot what you just said there, but also, and he's a very player-centric. He's like, you know, it's a holiday season. I don't want to bring them in for a couple of weeks and they all go back for holidays. It's time to be with your family and they should be with their families. But um, I agree with your sentiment as well. I, two years champions. It's emotionally probably a tough run for those guys who are there for back to back. And anytime you win a championship, it's, it's a huge emotional high that is very tough to then get back up and, and get going again as the new season kicks off. So not surprised that they will kick up a little bit later, but they have a pretty tough preseason schedule playing some of the minor 10 teams uh, up in Seattle. So they'll be, they'll be ready to go come week one, which is the championship rematch down there in San Diego against the Legion. So, like we said, probably a great rivalry in the West. I mean, this year we kind of looked at Glendale as one of their big rivals because just how heated those games got. But I'm sure the San Diego will be will be chomping at the bit to have a, another shot at Seattle there at home after losing that final in the last play of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, we should really uh, um, give Seattle... Um, some big kudos because they've really been the trendsetters. You know, they, in, in, in year one, they, they had the dominant scrum and then everyone went out and, you know, found new tight heads to be able to compete. Um, I think in this, in this past year, they like, you know, applied pressure through the set piece and played some, you know, territory and, and really sort of did well with the kick. They, they made few errors, right? Their defense wasn't as good. The sea wall was not as strong, but they had a little bit more balance um, and, you know, with, with a new coach, it'll be um, another interesting transition. But I think, I think we'll see. I mean, I actually think, you know, I think they really missed um, Vili. And the reason they missed Vili is I think the seawall was primarily based on their ability to slow down um, the opposition ball. And there may not be a better player in the league He's a, than Vili. He's a pure number seven. He gets in and slows that down. So when you don't have him... And the opposition is winning the ball quickly. Um, I think that uh, it's hard to build that seawall. So I think if Billy comes back and we see him healthy, I think you'll see the seawall be reinforced. And I think it will be another strength for them in 2020. Oh, absolutely. And think about Laguzamon as well there with Nakai Penny and Billy. Like, what oh, yeah. a great opportunity for those two to learn. Nakai, I, absolutely. Uh, really impressed with him. Really impressed. Uh, I think he's going to be an absolute stalwart in this league and for Canada moving yeah, forward. I, and same I agree. With Philly. So, well, mate, let's go around the grounds now. Some big news coming out in the last couple of weeks since we went on and one that affects the entire league. We have a new commissioner. Uh, George Kilbrew is on board as new commissioner. Many people will know him from his association with the Dallas Mavericks. And um, everyone knows the Mavericks and their owner. Mark Cuban, obviously a rugby guy from uh, Indiana back in the day. And he's been brought on board. So first, we say thank you to Dean House. You know, he got this league up off the ground, two years in the belt, in the, uh, in the book, sorry, which is uh, no, you know, it's, it's not, not an achievement that should be taken lightly. So congratulations to Dean and all his hard work. We wish him well in the future, but excited to have George on board and uh, to see what he can do and drive the league over the next few years here. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 an interesting choice, and I, I'll echo your your um, thoughts about Dean Housing. I, I talked to um, a couple of uh, owners this fall, and I think they all recognize that without Dean's experience, um, it would have been very difficult to launch Major League Rugby. But this is, I think, a an interesting move by the league, which is really um, a move towards the... Um, you know, the focus on sort of commercialization and how to bring in revenues. I mean, it's sort of been like the first couple of years were, um, how do we run the league? Like, how are we going to do TV? How are we going to do the contracts and the central model? And, you know, in, 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 you know, almost all of those cases, there's, they've built that system. Those systems are built. And, you know, my understanding is that, you know, um, in terms of expenses, the league has actually been pretty good in terms of sort of hitting their budget. But, um, it, you know, as we all know, that there hasn't been a lot of opportunity to, to bring in um, revenues. And so I think that that is going to be, um, you know, the new commissioner's um, challenge. I think that uh, the, the way of really building Major League Rugby as a product, it's actually, you know, I, I, I do work in, um, in, in, on, on the business side in, product innovation. So I get, I get a chance to like talk to a lot of senior marketing executives and pretty large companies. And so whenever I do that, I always kind of feel them out to find out if they'd be interested in, in sponsoring rugby. And for the most part, sports sponsorship is becoming less and less valuable as audiences get fragmented. And so it's, it's actually a pretty tough time to try and sort of, um, uh, develop um you know a marketing product that's attractive if all you're really doing is um sort of branding tv um you know those sorts of things even 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 in social media much more interesting to um to uh sponsors is the data and actually i i talked to the um, vp of marketing of one of the nfl teams um last month and was talking to him and they actually have, they've now got a whole data department within marketing because the, their sponsors want to know who's coming to games, who's following you on social media. Like they, they want to get down into that nitty gritty because then they can really target their messages. So it's going to be an interesting process, I think for major league rugby in its model to be able to drive some, some new revenues, but it's the challenge of the, of the commissioner. Yeah. Yep. It is. And it's, it's interesting that you talk about that stuff because I think all sports leagues are now starting to be data driven, whether it's on the field or off the field as well, as we become more and more competitive for those dollars with more and more uh, entertainment on different platforms now available than ever. So right. you, have, you have kids, so I have kids. We probably see it a little bit more intimately than people who don't have young kids, but the next generation of fans who we want coming to rugby and watching rugby are more and more distracted than they've ever been before. So uh, he does have a, a very strong commercial background, George. So yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think he's a great hire. I mean, I think he brings in tremendous experience. I think, you know, bringing in someone that has sort of, you know, traditional major league experience through the NBA I think it's going to be important because so much of this is about picking up the phone and getting someone to call you back. I mean, I think that whoever's going to come in and, and, you know, sponsor major league rugby is going to need to have a deal that, you know, the first few years, they're probably not going to 
get the value for their annual rights fee that they pay. But like the goal is, you know, year three, four and five, they, it's, it's going to get way more. So um, I think it's a great hire and I'm excited to see what he can do. Well, Pete, let's move on to some signings. And unless you live under a rock in a different solar system, then you know what went down yesterday. James Denise re-signs with Rooney. Huge news. It absolutely, it shut down Twitter. It shut down all the social networks. The servers couldn't handle the traffic. And then uh, I think there's a couple other signings as well. I'm just kidding. The Beast. And I am Tawira. He is off a World Cup win. Arguably, and, and I'll defer to you on this one because you, you did like the scrum, but arguably probably the most informed loose head coming out of the World Cup, maybe in world rugby at the moment, uh, the most dominant, just an absolute physical specimen. He signs with Old Glory. And if you had a chance to read through the press release, then this will be easy for you. If not, I urge you to go and read it. Absolutely just drawn to him immediately reading that. His reasonings behind the signing and what he wants to achieve here. Could not have signed a better guy for Major League Rugby. And Paul Sheehy and his crew out there, Wow. Well, you just shot right up the power rankings with that signing. Yeah. I mean, you know, first of all, on the field, I mean, we, well, we saw what the impact that a high quality prop can do to a scrum with um, Paddy Ryan coming to San Diego. Right. And, and if you talk to the forwards that, that were part of the Legion, they said it wasn't just him being a great individual player. He changed the mindset about how they played. So net, you've got a brand new scrum in, um, in, uh, DC and that old glory pack is immediately going to have someone that's going to set a standard that is going to be higher than you know any other standard in major league rugby and so I think think there's 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 the individual play which is obviously world class right and and you know you saw how he dismantled the tight heads for England um, he's a physical player around the field so you know and, and, and you know this is an experienced guy and he's 34 which isn't that old for a prop I mean this is someone that could have gone and made a lot more money in France or in the UK and, and had those offers so so I think on the field this is a huge win for old glory I think it's going to solidify the pack and we know how important that is in major league rugby yeah so you I throw, think, sorry Pete go ahead no, I was going to say, you throw him into the mix. They've got Jake Turnbull. They've picked up from Houston, Max Lum, uh, Fullerton from New Zealand. How are they feeling right now? They've just, this legend is going to come in and he's obviously coming in very, very humble as well. And yeah, I mean, I mean, you're right. You, what you, an opportunity. Yeah, you read the press releases. This is a guy that's going to come and is going to come in and work. Um, and, and, and so I think on the field, it's obviously a huge win. Off the field, it's, it's interesting, right? And I think that... Um, uh, if you look at the press around the world, this has been a, a great boost for Major League Rugby. I mean, we sort of saw it with with Marnonu, but but this is a real shock. I think people are like Major League Rugby. Someone's choosing to go there, and I think so. I think for the branding of Major League Rugby around the world, I think it's good. I think you know it's potentially good for foreign investment in the league. I think that you know it, it met you know just like you said, it may open the doors for more people to come. I also believe, and I think that there's some different views on this, you know, I've been having some discussions on Twitter about it. You know, I think that there's a, there's a, um, a, a misunderstanding about who's a major league rugby fan. And there's an assumption that if I'm a rugby fan in, you know, and I watch the premiership or the six nations or the world cup in DC, automatically I'm going to go to a major league rugby game. And we all know that's not true, right? That there are far more rugby fans 
right now in America than major league rugby fans. And so in DC in particular, with a large expat population, having someone like the Beast play for Old Glory, that means that they'll get more people to come out because they'll want to see him play. I mean, there are some, you know, comments on my timeline, you know, people are like, wow, these, these people, you know, I'm, I'm going to drive eight hours to go and see that guy play because it's, you know, you're going to go and see one of the best players in the world. So I think that, you know, these signings do drive bums in seats. I think that what's been really impressive for me is that just the signing isn't enough, right? You need the marketing, you need the infrastructure around it. And I think the way Old Glory have handled the announcement makes me feel like they've got that in place. So these, these signings, you know, they, they feel, you know, people, you know, have concerns about it. You know, these are guys at the end of their career taking spots of potential Americans. But if, you know, the low hanging fruit for a major league rugby team are the rugby fans in their community that aren't coming out to games and these guys get them in. Like a non-rugby fan isn't going to know who the beast is, but there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of rugby fans out there that we need to engage in Major League Rugby. That has to be part of the success. I don't think it's sufficient for the long-term part of the league, but it's certainly the low-hanging fruit that a team like Old Glory can can get after. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to both sides of the argument. I really am. And I think eventually it'll all, you know, as as MLR grows and, and establishes itself in in the fabric of the sports landscape here, uh, you'll get a little bit more of a clearer, you know, development for for domestic players in the league. But for right now, owners are investing, you know, significant amounts of money in this, and people love winners. I mean, look at Seattle. Look at the the crowds they get. They're winners. They turn up every week, knowing that as soon as the ball's kicked, they're they're a better chance than many to to win that game, and they love it. So you have to have a win-down mentality to kind of establish yourself, especially on that East Coast and some of those sports markets. You think about like Boston, New York, D.C., saturated, absolutely saturated. So something like this, it may not move the needle like you know some other sports, but you just need to move the needle. It just has to start moving in the right direction. Right. And I, think, I think this is a fantastic signing. And just on the back of what you said, you look at the... You know, we know DC is a, a very politically um, influenced city, probably or definitely the most in the US. So a lot of the consulates are there. So you're going to get not just the South Africans, you're going to get all the rugby playing nations who are there will now think, you know what, I want to go out and see this guy. And not only do I get to see him, but we are still such a small bubble in the US rugby landscape. You got a chance to go and meet this guy. Like, it's not like I'm at Twickenham watching South Africa and England and I get to watch the Beast play, which was, you know, such an amazing experience in itself. But now I can stick around and bring my kids out to the game and say, hey, this guy just won a World Cup. He's the absolute upper echelon of the game in the, in the world. And now you can meet him. So I love it. I love it. I'm going to stay off your Twitter, though. I don't want to get involved in that. <laughs> I think Pete, Pete touched on this with Patty Ryan for our foreign players that come in, it's all about the right fit because we've had some foreign players come in in the first two seasons of the league that weren't the right fit and, you know, didn't get extended. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, I actually feel like, you know, to me, um, getting someone like Manonu or the beast is, um, is actually a safe bet. 
the challenge is finding, you know, one of the better players in the Mitre 10 or a player on the fringe of the, of the premiership. Like it's, it's actually much harder to know how those guys fit in. And, um, and, and so it's the teams that have the better networks in some of those um, foreign leagues, I think are the teams that do a better job of bringing in that 24-20. Like we talked about Ross Neal as a, as a new guy coming in. You know, we think that he's going to fit really well. We think he's going to be a real impact. But Major League Rugby is good enough that just because you've played a little bit of Premiership Rugby or, or, or the Championship level, or you've played, you know, probably Pro 2 in France, or you've played Mitre 10, that doesn't mean you're going to step over here and be a stud, right? And so I think that we've seen some, some poor foreign players come over, and I think that's disappointing. Um, and I think that, that, you know, teams really need to do a good job of vetting those players that, that, that come in. I mean, I, you know, I've been excited to see a lot of the, the college signings that are now happening. And I think that that's going to, we're going to see more and more of that. Um, I think that, you know, in, in, in some of these expansion, there's, you know, new, there are club players that are making the transition to, from an amateur to a professional set up i you know i think that we're going to see more of that and i think that um you know the the foreign players should be players like the beast right and 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 nanu and ben foden those are the players that can move the needle get bums in seats and are one of the best players um on your team so it, it it's an interesting thought around sort of the 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 foreign, you know, the quality of the foreign players that have come over, but I, I think the right fit is, 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 is as Aaron suggested, is, is interesting. Yep, I'm not going to argue with you, Pete, because I hate arguing with you because you usually win. But let's talk a little bit back on to now to the commissioner. There was a press conference. Is the gold mine was unveiled as New Orleans' new home ground? So the uh, the shrine on the airline or whatever it was before now the gold mine on shrine or airline I'm, there's so many rhymes there but uh old baseball stadium of the baby cakes down there and now being totally redone to host rugby so a new home for new orleans which is great um i, I will miss calling games from the courtyard around the corner in new orleans with you pete <laughs> at the high school but uh it was a one-off thing people don't you know you know when you're down in New Orleans in June, what's the most important question, Dan? Is there shade and air conditioning? Right. If I don't have air right, conditioning. Right, right. Does the commentator's box have AC? That's, yes. that's the only thing I care about because that, it, it can be brutal down there. But it's exciting. You know, what, what I love about, um, about Nola's move is that they're moving. Yes, they're moving to a baseball stadium, but they're moving to a baseball stadium that's no longer going to be used by baseball. Correct. And it's, so, yeah, they're going to purpose build it out for rugby. Right. And, and, and I think that that's different than maybe some of the challenges that Rooney had um, in playing in, um, uh, in, you know, in, in Coney Island. Yeah. In Coney Island. So I think that, I think, I think that's actually really uh, um, like, it's going to be exciting to see how they do do down there. And I think it's a known entity as a sports stadium, which will also help people find it. And so hopefully that'll help grow the crowds down there at Nona because Nona plays some great rugby. And I mean, it, it would be, um, you know, they need more more people in the stands to watch them play down there. Well, I was down there this year doing uh, doing a game, Pete, and I was talking to a couple of the locals afterwards. We went back to the hotel and, you know, they said, we would love to go to a game. We're just not going to go over the bridge. It's just, it's, right, I guess right, it's a New right. Orleans thing. So commercially, coming onto the other side of the bridge into New Orleans proper opens up many opportunities for uh, 
for Mr. Falcon and um, Fitzy down there to start getting more sponsors in. And like you said, the branding will be much easier in a stadium as opposed to a high school. So uh, it always, the move was always on the books for them and I'm excited for everyone down there. But coming out of that press conference as well, there was some talk of expansion. So Los Angeles and Dallas, once that is uh, fully confirmed and we have more details, we'll go into depth on that, but it looks like it will be LA and Dallas coming in in 2021. And they also talked a little bit, which pertains to you and I, Pete, about expanded TV partnerships. So ESPN is looking like they will be back in the fold. They were with us in year one in uh, in a, some capacity, but Fox Sports looks like they will be picking up uh, a game or two a week, and that will be on the uh, FS networks there, which again opens up a lot more households to Major League Rugby. So great news, and once that's confirmed, we'll dig into the details a little more, Pete, but what are your thoughts on first the expansion and then uh, expanding the TV partnerships as well? Well, you know, Dallas has actually been a, a long-time member of Major League Rugby. Um, you know, they, I, think, I think they came in relatively early. They just haven't um, been able to get their team together. Um, uh, but it's, you know, so that's, uh, that's definitely an interesting um, addition. You know, it puts three teams in, in Texas, which I think is uh, um, another interesting challenge slash slash opportunity probably for the league um you know la obviously huge market you know diff i think it's actually a pretty difficult sports town uh but you know ex ex excited to uh um to add you know something um in one of the larger um was it the second largest media market so that's certainly going to be big for the value um you know adding espn and fox sports is all part of what i said before you know it adds it builds a better product if you want to sell um, marketing and, and, and sponsorship. So I think, I think that's good. It will expand the reach. It will allow more people to see it. You know, CBS sports has been a great partner for us. Um, but it's not always the easiest channel to find. And so now having games, um, on, on one of the ESPN channels and, and one of the Fox sports, um, channels, I think, I think it is, it's all good. Like the more that we can get that out there, um, I think the, the better off the league will be. Yeah, just one request to the team in Dallas. If you can set up somewhere near the Pecan Lodge, it is the best barbecue I've ever had down in Dallas. Pete, when we do a game down there, I'm going to take you. We're going to have so much fun. It's honestly 45 minutes to line up just to get in there and get some. And it's, a, it's just a grab and go. Well, hopefully but by the time we get to 2021, we can just tell them, hey, we're with Major League Rugby and they'll put us at the front of the line. They'll bring it to us. We will. <laughs> yeah, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> What's... Uh, Troy Aikman, I'll say, you know, it's, it's Troy Aikman's here because obviously he's with Fox. So I'm guessing the Fox thing will elevate us even more. So it'll be Troy, Joe, Joey B, which is Joe Buck, me, you, at the Pecan Lodge, just having some barbecue, talking a little, uh, talking a little Major League Rugby. How good would that be? But let's talk a little bit more about uh, Around the Grounds. We talked about Paladin being announced. There was a kit release for all the teams. So late Christmas present. I know Christmas is right around the corner. We're, we're within the week now, but it's not too late. Go out and get some jerseys. And there was just so many to choose from. Any, any yeah. that stood out for you? You know, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of people liked, um, I think it's the Free Jacks home jersey because it had the had traditional collar. Yeah. Um, which, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I, I think we'll like that right up until someone grabs the collar. Um, but you know, I thought the free jacks looked like looked look good. Um, you know, Rooney incorporating pinstripes was interesting. 
So, you know, it'll, I want to see that on, on the field. Like, you know, when you see the models, it's not always the best, but there's been, you know, what I love is the discussion about it. Like what I love is that they come out and now everyone's talking about it, but there's definitely some Christmas presents that can be bought. There's some very, very nice uniforms um, and nice jerseys that, that people can buy for their um, rugby fan family. Uh, um, so, you know, make sure you check those out. I was just loving Ben Foden's shorts in the away kit. They I know. The shortest shorts I've ever seen in my I, life. I, I can't imagine those are actually going to be the shorts. You know what? I hope they are because that's <laughs> going to be so much fun. And there's a couple of guys that we know well on that New York roster who will be back next year. Some of the backs won't mind it. You know, the Connor Wallace Sims and the guys with the great legs. But uh, up front, there might be a... A few wedgies getting pulled out right, comes right, from I time. So. But I no, I, I liked them more. I thought Colorado's was pretty sharp. It's a uh, rebrand and they really embraced that revamp with the Colorado, you know, the big C on the front there. And uh, the Seattle with the stars. I think I mentioned that on Twitter. I really like the championship stars. Yeah, I the saw that. I thought there, that was great. I, yep. You know, I, and I wonder if that's, um, you know, so in, um, uh, in the World Cup, um, you can you can have the uh, world cup on your sleeve if you've won it, but it's a, it's a world rugby rule. So I wonder if the stars is a major league rugby rule. I hope so. I mean, yeah, we I just need, so. we need someone else to win one now and then we yeah, can no, find no, out. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, Pete, 50 shows, mate. I've loved it. it. It doesn't feel like 50. It feels like five. It's just flown by and I've just had so much fun with you and Aaron on the show and, I think I've done all 50. You've missed a couple, so you, you shouldn't be celebrating yet. I think you got three behind. <laughs> well, that would be behind. very typical of my of my cricket career as well. Yeah. 48 yeah, but, being the uh, how I get out. Well, me and Aaron will have a, uh, have a glass tonight to celebrate our 50, and then in a couple of months, you can join us as well. All right, I will do that. And, hey, you know, where do they find us? Where do they find well, us? They, they can find us, I think, on any of their... Um, uh, anywhere that they find their podcasts on um, iTunes, Stitcher, any of those places, please download, subscribe, um, leave a rating, leave a comment. That helps more people find it. We, we are slowly building our um, our listening base, and um, you know this is the place to get your latest in Major League Rugby. So uh, please let others know about it. Oh, Pete, you're the man. I'm going to put Aaron Castro on the spot here because we uh, will start. Our previews, no reviews, but our previews of the expansion teams. Who are we going to do first, Aaron? Should we go alphabetically and do Atlanta or you want someone else on there? I think we're going to have to do the Beast. Are we going straight to Old Glory? Can we get him on the show? <laughs> I, we're going to... I mean, wow, wow you know, that's really putting Aaron in the spot, but we should definitely get him on the show, Aaron. Yeah, we, we fact, should. We just I'll, say that we'll put him on the show. We'll, we'll get him on the show, for sure. Just need to... I, I mean, Pete knows uh, Paul Sheehy pretty well, so. We'll get them both on the show. Reflects Otherwise, the... week one, player of the week, the beast, you heard it here. I don't, <laughs> even if he plays five minutes, what are five minutes is going to be? So we're going to go Old Glory next, after Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas to all the, all the and happy holidays to all our, uh, our listeners, to Aaron Castro, our producer, to Pete Steinberg. Enjoy the holidays, boys, and I hope you get everything you wanted. And Santa is good to everyone. We will catch you next time. Dan Powell, Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro. This has been the MLR kickoff.